Welcome to NJASA's Frontline Leadership for Extraordinary Times podcast series. We are fortunate to have two well-known public school advocates and well-respected senators with us today. New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney, and for a second appearance, Senate President Pro Tempore and Chairperson of the Senate Education Committee, who is spearheading the New Jersey Education Recovery Task Force, Senator Teresa Ruiz. Thank you both for taking time out of your very busy schedules to spend some time with our members. And before we begin, let me ask, how are you and your families doing during this time? We're living in a, a new world. It's different. We're doing a lot of these calls. It reminds me of the Brady Bunch with all the boxes and the head shaking. It's dating my age, but uh, I think we're doing okay. We're coming through this okay. Uh, uh, you know, my partner, Senator Ruiz, I don't like doing these calls without her because she's the lead on education for us in the Senate. So, you know, she's my partner. She's in my leadership. So I really appreciate Teresa being on the call with me. Thank you, Senate President. Thanks, Rich, for having me come back. My family is still great. We're healthy, and that's the number one priority right now. We're employed, which is awesome. And uh, we're balancing teaching and working from home, which a lot of our families are experiencing right now. But like every other household, there are days where you are frustrated and had enough. There are days where you just laugh because there's you have to find an alternative to crying and there are days that you're just so grateful that you have an opportunity to uh, create policy and advocate on behalf of new jersey residents so you know like everyone in the state of new jersey there's ups and downs but we've showed in the garden state and in our collective communities that the human spirit is something that no pandemic no event can ever tear down it's actually i think a great uh moment for us to create a movement right now for equity that that is long overdue absolutely uh, you know we we are with you at njsa 100 percent on that topic and let, let's talk a little bit about that a few weeks ago you joined us on this broadcast and we discussed uh, the responsibilities of the education recovery task force which you are leading and we identified a number of challenges that we talked about. How can schools safely and realistically reopen? What will be the economic and budgetary impact on the districts? How do we serve the emotional, mental needs of students, families in the community? And the need for proactive guidance for all our school leaders. And uh, we continued that conversation, in fact, just this morning. Tell us where you see we are in this process. You're asking me? Uh, so I, I'm not quite sure where we are, because if you notice, every time we have a meeting every Tuesday, there are still the questions. Where's the guidance? Where's the guidance? Where's the guidance? And so, I mean, I, I would love to see, and I can only speak for myself. I keep saying this. No decision that is anchored in, in uh, that comes out of the Department of Education is going to make every single community happy, right? We all know this. Accepting that fact, I'm just making a request for a decision to be made. And we heard today loud and clear that it has to be a decision that is accompanied with the Department of Health guidance. Both things have to come out in tandem to make sure that our schools have the, the health and regulatory guidance and then the educational guidance to see what September is going to look like. But, you know, we discussed early childhood and when we talk about the opening of the state of New Jersey, that's a critical component. When we talk about schools opening, it's a critical component because many of us have to get back to work. And how does that look like when we don't have access to child care? But again, I, I just echo the sentiment of it's got to be driven by health and public safety. 
And I unfortunately think that the, the area that we'll really see all of this play out is going to be in our school systems and settings because it's the most, uh, it, it's the largest group that we have to deal with in the smallest settings with the most restrictions. And so we're going to really see the rise of the pandemic back in the fall play out. I think in our school environments, and that's why it's critically important for us to have guidance now so that we can prevent any outbreaks. And so on that topic of guidance, we, we learned last week that we are going to be able to have in-person summer schools, frankly, something that surprised me. We have the extended year program, special education services will be allowed to, to be in person on July 6th uh, where they're feasible. Uh, but many are questioning if schools can safely and realistically reopen in September. This may be an attempt in a smaller version to do that. Um, what are both of your opinions and perspectives on the reopening of schools? Senator Ruiz, let's start with you. So I, listen, I'm a mother and, and I filled out the survey that a lot of New Jerseyans filled out. And if you saw the New York Times uh, article that was, uh, that they, they, you know, they were asking questions of people in the science field and in it, who are in the thick of this, a great portion of the people were nestled in the middle because they were going to make their decisions based on what data was going to show in the fall, based on the criteria of their communities, based on the trends, if they would return their child back uh, to school. So I listen, I, there are days where I feel confident, and then there are days where there's a headline that makes me feel hesitant. The last thing a parent wants to do is put their child in any kind of compromised position. But I think that if we were to get guidance now, we can start developing whatever normalcies we need to create. If my child can go to school three days out of the week and there's a smaller school environment there that has the necessary protocols in place for the student and the teacher to remain uh, the highest level of integrity when it comes to health, then I, I can also plan on my end, what is it that I'm gonna do as far as getting that extra child care on the day that I have to go to work or you know, uh, rearranging my careerhood to be sure that she's my priority. The issue is that in that landscape that I've laid out there, not every single family is gonna have the opportunities that are afforded to me, right? And, and so we talked about this a little bit today, and I'm glad that the Senate pre president is on here. Depending on what schools look like, I think we're gonna have to also create policy that, that um, protects the parent that stays at home, right? So we can't have employers that are going to randomly just get rid of people because their kid is only going to school two days and then they can't find someone else to take care of them. There's got to be maybe a shared service program that I know the Senate president has been pushing. How do, how do we create creative policy that protects the, the family, protects the employed, the employer and the student going back to work? And it's hugely complicated. So that's my answer. And, Thank and you. And for me, Richard, um, you know, since we haven't gotten a lot of information out of the administration, that's why I asked Senator Ruiz to head up that committee that we formed, and I think it's actually very productive. But I would look at what the world's doing, to be honest with you, and see what are the best scenarios to ensure that our children are as safe as they possibly can be and that our teachers and, every, you know, everyone that's involved is safe. And... Uh, you know, there's models out there, we should look at them. You know, obviously school's not gonna be what it, I can't imagine it being what it was before this for the foreseeable future. So figuring out what others have done good, avoiding what others have done bad, and, and trying to move forward, I think is the very best course of action. But again, when 
we, when we formed this group with uh, Senator Ruiz, it was one of the more productive Zoom calls I'd been on. And, you know, and there was a lot of ideas that came out of it. So as we're, as there's a vacuum right now, you know, we need to fill the vacuum if, if you know, as, 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 or push the administration to provide details as we go forward. Because I was surprised as hell with the summer classes. You know, I was very surprised when I heard that. You know, I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, uh, as a parent with a child with a disability, uh, you know, uh, all the children were hurt in this, but children with disabilities fall, fall back quicker. Yeah. Uh, without question, you and I have walked the halls of some of our special services districts. I know that this is a topic dear to your heart. And one, one of the things that I know in the committee and even in the task force that the uh, education department has put together, every educator that I know talks about the health criteria. Now, we can handle the education part, but what we don't, we're not experts in it what's safe to do and what are the protocols that we need. And so we are really looking to the health department to give us some guidance there so that we can then plan. And as Senator Ruiz says, I know hammered home to both the commissioner and over to the governor's office, we need the time to plan for whatever those eventualities are. Uh, I, I think- And Rich, can, 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 we just, can we just put a pin in that? Because the Senate president echoed something that I think a lot of families and school districts wanted to hear, which was the in-person summer school services. And while some of the special needs students or those programs may be able to get that one-on-one, -on -one, the reality is that you saw a lot of superintendents come out and say, well, good that you gave us this guidance, but it came way too late and we're gonna go completely digital over the summer just because they, didn't, they were not afforded the time to prepare. We're at the end of June for intents and purposes. July is, July in a normal year is when the district is planning principals start going back at the end of July, the beginning of August. And you think of the impact of the budget that's already hurting for this year. I just, I just do not see how you turn around and you tell someone you're going to go 180 days at the beginning of September without saying, here's a pot of money for you to be able to, to, to have that happen. You just can't, you can't get the PPE in place. You can't get the training. You can't get the equipment. You, can't, you just cannot do it. Then we have this other thing, and I know this is, this is close to the Senate president, which is school construction, right? So in the middle of all of this, we've lapsed a lot of projects, but now we have to think about how we're going to build school buildings for the future that could kind of collapse and reestablish themselves in pandemic settings so that there's more room. I have buildings that were built under Abraham Lincoln that are still open to our students. There's no way you can call everybody back in and do six feet apart, right? So the yeah. sooner the better, like that's the echoing of, and that the truth is the Senate president will say this, that's, that's the thing across the board. It doesn't matter what the messaging is. It's, it's gonna hurt some people, it'll make some people happy, but the earlier the guidance comes out, the better it is. Yeah, time, time is, Richard, time is of the essence. I mean, we're in June, we're talking September, and, and changing protocols or how we go to school or how we do things, is huge. We still haven't resolved the issue of, of uh, distance learning. You know, I mean, we've been at it for months now. You know, we have communities where kids, you know, are economically deprived. They're not getting an education. You know, it's total, pardon my language, but it's total bullshit. You know, at this point, we need to move forward. I can understand why Senator Ruiz was so passionate at that hearing. It wasn't angry at the commissioner. It's angry that children are actually suffering so when are we going to get an answer? 
when are we moving forward? Time is up. We need to get some answers so school districts can prepare. Hey, it might be half the kids in half the kids in one week, and and distance learning the other week. You know what I'm saying? Like because the facilities, like Senator Ruiz said, Newark's got schools from Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's it's just we're we need answers and we need them quickly. We don't have time. We really don't have time for school districts. I guess my, my question would be for the school boards and the superintendents is, how much time do you need? And I would think it's probably as much as you can get. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, there are uh, high schools, for example, that have built their schedules already. And so dependent on what's happening, uh, they're, they're looking at all the possibilities. Will we return? Will some return? Will we be able to stay virtual? And so many feel if we don't have the health guidance to know exactly how to plan for the operations that we should stay virtual until we have the answers that make everybody comfortable. I because agree. we are hearing parents say, we're not sending our kids back unless we know it's okay. And by the way, we have adults who are either elderly or compromised who work in the school system who are gonna say the same thing. Our bus drivers, many of them, uh, all the second careers you know, are, are, are potentially at risk as well. So all those questions pile right in there and you're right, we need time to, to make those adjustments. Now, both of you hit on a topic that um, there's no easy answer to. I remind all of our colleagues out there that everybody's going through this the for the first time. With regard to the budgetary uh, impact on the state, it's been incredible as both you know in terms of the loss of revenues that would have otherwise been generated the income tax uh, not really known until we get into uh, the middle of July. And of course, the uh, budget year has been extended for another three months before we plan for the remainder of the year. Both of you have key roles in, in the budget. Um, we think that it's going to cost more money to operate uh, than before, only because we have to think about sanitizing and masks, protective equipment, uh, perhaps different bus schedules. And, and I know both of you have heard this and there's no easy answer, but in the crystal ball, uh, what do you see with regard to looking forward to the budget and the ability to support schools in this challenge? Well, I said um, superintendents about a month ago, I didn't have a crystal ball, but if I were you, I would, I would do a budget that's flat funded. You know, don't, they had already submitted budgets with, you know, the numbers that we gave you. But the reality is best case scenario is going to be flat. And then we got to look at the CARES Act money that we have to see how we can help school districts planning what we're doing. But for me, more than anything, I'm going to go back to this. Our virtual learning, we have how many students stress is 100,000, 90,000 kids? 90,000. Yeah, 90, for the not, at least 90,000. You know, Richard, that's got to get solved today. That's got to be solved today because there's a high probability we might not open our schools because it's getting late with, you know, with another wave coming. We can't let these kids go another, you know, uh, six months without getting an education. That's, that's grossly unfair. And the 90,000 uh, Senate president, so you know, because we, we kind of flushed this out a little bit earlier today, and this is just for the people who are listening to make it, the 90,000 is, is a low end number. And I'll explain to you why. When we count... Uh, computer technology and equipment, it's one per address, right? Not one per one necessarily for each student, nor is it taking into account our students from the third grade down through preschool. 
So there's a whole other collective wow. that's not even connected. We're talking about 90,000 in, 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 the, in the middle school years. That's, that's critical for their learning because with, the, I guess, the younger kids, you can learn a different way. But I will tell you that we've been using our tablets here in the house and my daughter's only three years old. So if there is, again, a family in my, in my, in my daughter's classroom that didn't have the ability to connect, he or she would have been losing out on some of the, the experiences that our preschool teacher has been able to afford her classroom. And, you know, I live right, right across from Philadelphia. And they seem like they're, they're solving this problem, that they're making sure that children, I think they distributed thousands upon thousands of tablets. You know, so again, for us, they have the money. The money's sitting there in the CARES Act. And we shouldn't estimate on the low end uh, so if you have three kids in a, in, in, a, in a house that are going to school at different grades, they got to have their own. So we really have to get a better handle on this, ensure that our young people are given the opportunities to learn again. Because like I said, Richard, I, I'm looking at things worst case scenario. If something happens better, it's like great, you know, great. But for now, we need to look at worst case scenario, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. And it's, yes, and it's a best case scenario, right, uh, a Senate president? If we connect a child and a family with a computer and a hotspot, that is a great, that's an extraordinary win. How about we start getting creative and move away from textbooks that charge our districts an exorbitant amount of money just because they changed the cover page and put a different copyright date on it? I mean, we, this is not an expenditure. It's an investment we pretend to be number one or we're qualified as number one in the country. We know that's not true. This is a, this would be a huge investment in equity, just connecting our students to technology and the infrastructure needed. Even if things, even if tomorrow they discovered a vaccine that was hundred percent proof and we were all going back, we should still be meeting again, maybe in person or like this again and saying every child deserves access to technology because the difference with the pandemic is that it's been highlighted, but six months ago, there was still a technology divide. I still had family and children that did not have access to computer equipment or to hotspots just because of financial uh, resources in the household. I remember Patterson not having textbooks. Right. You know, there, you know there, there's districts where kids share textbooks with other kids. So, you know, to what Senator Ruiz said, you know, the good that's coming out of this is we're recognizing our weakness and we need to address it, you know. And, and again, I, I agree with the senator. Forget textbooks. You know, these kids learn on tablets, learn on technology. Get the technology. It's a hell of a lot cheaper just to, you know, to go online with a book than to print a whole, you know, thousand upon thousands of them. It, it, it's, there's some, you know, looking at how we do things. Sometimes it's, 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 there's a good that comes out of the bad, which is. Let's 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 do things a little bit differently, not just to do it differently, but to do it better. You know, you're absolutely right. We have to learn from this and take the, the good parts and take a look at it. And you know, in so many ways, when we look at schools or we talk about negotiations in schools, that uh, it seems as though we're designing the school for 1950 as opposed to 2050. We need to look forward, need to think about things differently, things that you both have advocated for connecting with higher ed better. Uh, certainly preschool education, things that have contributed to us, but uh, being number one, but we certainly need to, to pursue that. So let me, let me turn to another topic, if I can, before we run out of time today. Um, we've done 14 of these podcasts now uh, with our members, as well as with Senator Ruiz before. And 
we've been sharing different ideas about the importance of the school as a place to connect. Uh, it seems that whenever there's a tragedy, the school's the community. Uh, we house people because they can't be housed. After Superstorm Sandy, this was the place that people came to. It's at the heart of our communities. And in this time, uh, emotional and mental health issues are really raised. Uh, you have any thoughts about what we can proactively do as we continue forward? I know we're transitioning to a time when there's only summer uh, enrichment and remediation programs that we can provide. But as we go forward, if we stay in this, what are your thoughts about really attending to those community and student and parent needs? Well, for me, I think schools are still the heart of communities. And I mean, you, you, the schools are the most important thing because you're, you're teaching our, you know, you're raising our children basically with us get them prepared for a life and hopefully it's a successful life. Um, you know, I believe in our school system. I know Senator Ruiz does. Obviously, she's probably the most passion champion uh, when it comes to education in the state. And, you know, so I, I just think though, we got to look at what we're doing and see how we can do it better. Our school buildings are always going to be the center of the communities. You know that, that's where we're all going to take our kids or we're going to sporting events. Uh, that's not going to change, but uh, maybe we can expand it a little bit. Maybe we can find a way to expand it uh, further. And again, I, I, you know, Richard, when I, when I got invited to do this podcast, and I know Senator Ruiz just did one, but I wanted, I wanted her on this with me because she is the leader in the Senate when it comes to education, and I follow her lead. You know, what I mean, I'm gonna be the Senate president, but I've entrusted Teresa with this. So at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, I don't think the school's role uh, diminishes. I think it expands to try to, to try to help strengthen the community further. So that, that puts a lot of pressure on my shoulders. Uh, to formulate strategies <laughs> and a plan. But I think, listen, uh, and, and, and any parents or anyone who has a, a student, you, you can see it, right? We don't, we don't all go to school just to learn academic lessons, right? When you're in your formative years, it's about learning how to zip up your coat and learning that you're not the only one and that you have to wait your turn and, and exploring uh, different opportunities and engaging with your peers, which is all about, you know, social emotional learning and preparedness. But if in fact we stay on a virtual model, we have to move uh, to a checkpoint of a diagnostic on two fields. It's got to be an academic checkpoint to see where students are. So our teachers have the resources come September to say Steve is, is on par or he scaled back and, and, and Teresa is, is, is behind. And how do you formulate the curriculum to make sure that there isn't that learning loss, which is going to be amplified so much greater. And, and, and the thing with learning loss is that black and brown communities and poor communities have been experiencing this for decades uh, or at least since I've been screaming about it when I first entered the Senate, and, and this kind of uh, event just amplifies that even greater. So we need a checkpoint both for the family and the student and the teacher, uh, an academic diagnostic to see where the student is at. And part of that diagnostic has to be a wellness check, right? Like a comprehensive just to check in and to say, how are you doing? How is your family? You know, all of us can point to one of these stories. I have had school districts that have had at least a handful of parents uh, pass away from the pandemic. Not only are you dealing with, you know, the strain of being in the house or your parents that are working, and then on top of that, you're grappling with the loss. It's been extraordinary. And the area where 
it wasn't as easy to switch because of logistics has been in the telehealth, right? How do our guidance counselors connect? How is the guidance counselor protected so that there isn't a liability issue for that person to do that kind of work that they would normally do inside of their classroom? How, how, you know, it'll never be the same because if you have a child that's coming to an adult that they trust in the school to talk about issues that they're experiencing in the household, they'll never be as open when they're sitting right in that same venue. Right. And so those are the things that we're losing. I don't know how we get past that, but we have to have a diagnostic tool that checks in on the child, both for well-being and for, um, for academics. And as far as the school being the center, it still remains the center. When, when school lunches are being given out, it's your local school district that's still handing out those lunch boxes to make sure that our food insecure families are connected. Uh, it is still the school that the, the teachers and the principals are still checking in to be sure that if, if, if someone has moved on, I've seen it, they've driven by the house, they're doing wellness baskets, they're bringing birthday parades. I mean, you know, you think about it, but the truth is my daughter, before March spent more time with her teacher than she did with me. It's just the nature of, of someone who works. And so they're part of our families. And so that in touch reality may not exist, but I think that there are ways that we can bridge it. It's never going to be 100 the same, you know, students who have, um, that need IEPs and, and individualized learning plans that the Senate president can speak to this greater than anybody else, you know that sitting in front of a tablet is not conducive for that. And so there are obstacles that I don't think we can overpass, but there are clear levels of low-hanging fruit that I think that if, if we just, to me, the DOE should really turn in this into an opportunity to become a policy beacon of hope. These are the basic principles. This is what we're doing. We're going to hear to, we're going to be here to help you. This is what you need to meet. You can go above and beyond that, but we should, which is what I think the department should have always been is just a venue for resources and a policy think tank to really move uh, our schools forward. Our schools are based on 180 days on an agrarian calendar that, like you said, doesn't make any sense. What if we start having conversations about a different school year so that then, then maybe our conversation right now would be entirely different. Student wouldn't have been out of school that much time because they would have spent some time in the summer. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities here, but there has to be a willingness from every sector that provides resources to the school district to admit that what we're doing currently doesn't work. You know, and that's so important. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, you know, one way of putting it, we, we should be concentrating not on seat time, but on head time. And that it's just not how many hours you're in school. It's, it's how productive you are. We need to, to look at that in the future. If there's something that's going to be taken away from here, it, it's not only schools, but people are never going to return to work in the same way they did in so many, in so many occupations. And the digital divide, we talk about reaching out to homes. Well, we, have, we are out in homes right now and, and talking with parents uh, through uh, conference calls such as this. And we should take that opportunity to check mental health and really engage the families as we get back into it. So we, we, I think a couple of important things that you said, certainly taking advantage of those uh, resources to get to those families that don't, that need them, must have them, so that we, we minimize that fallback in learning that we already know is occurring because just being at home is not the same as having that school experience. Mm -hmm. And two, guidance as quickly as we can get it. So we've had a great opportunity to talk today. We could continue for much longer, but let me just close by asking you both, is there anything else that uh, you would like to share with our school leaders, with our teachers and others uh, before we close out today? 
just thank you for everything you do. It's a tough job. You know, I, I tell, you know, I tell people it's the, probably the toughest job in the world, ensuring, educating our, our, our youth, you know, because they are the future as we hear. And, and hopefully we build a great future by building a great educational system. But thanks, Richard. Thank you, Senator. Senator Ruiz, your closing thoughts. Just thank you. Thank you to the Senate president for always uh, listening to, to things that perhaps sound um, crazy to others, but he recognizes the long-term goal is about making sure that there's equity in our school systems. And again, just a big shout out to all of our teachers who, you know, turn their houses upside down into learning labs and into our living rooms and connected with us. It's the end of the school year. We appreciate you. Um, uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to all of you and to our class of 2020 graduates throughout the entire Garden State. Uh, you know, when 2020 started, the islands were shaking, volcanoes were erupting, heroes uh, had fatally died in a crash. And then you fast forward and you would never would have thought uh, we would have been in, a, in an episode where people would be graduating the same way we we're conducting this interview. But um, and just most recently, uh, with the events that, that really are calling, are calling all of us to action to demand better for change in the life that was taken away from George Floyd. I mean, it, our students have undergone a lot of uh, events that will create any kind of seismic pressure. But what you're seeing is this relevance of the human spirit come up and rise and, and I am so forever grateful to the next generation of New Jerseyans who I can gladly say, here's the baton, because I know they'll take care of me and my daughter. So thank you both so much, not only for being with us today, but for your energy and your passion and your commitment to the children in our state. It, it really is very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I want to say to our listeners, uh, remember that we will be distributing one podcast interview per week. So please monitor your email, visit njasa.net, and subscribe to our NJASA podcast. Until next time, I'm Dr. Richard Baza. Please stay safe, stay well, and remain healthy. Thanks so much. Thank you.